Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You know what we're going to do right now? We're going to have a fascinating conversation because I've got someone who agrees with me on populism, but from the right and from Fox News. Okay, so brace for impact. Steve Hilton, <laughs> author of Positive Populism, Revolutionary Ideas to Rebuild Economic Security, Family and Community in America. Welcome. Great to be here. And you've also got a show, of course, on Fox News. And it is on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern called The Next Revolution. A lot of TYT hosts go on that, actually, you know, Mickey yeah, Kunst. Exactly, it's been great to see them. Yes, and Richard Fowler, and etc. So, so Steve, I'm gonna start with this, I don't really believe you're a conservative, <laughs> uh, okay? Because uh, it appears on the surface that a lot of things you say make sense, so. Does can't not, be right, can't, can't be, be right, so that's, it does not compute. Uh, so let's break down some of your issues yeah. and see if you are coming at it from a different angle. Okay. Or if maybe the American political spectrum is the, is the problem and not you or I, okay? okay? So you say you wanna guarantee American workers a living wage without crashing the economy. Yes. That sounds Bernie Sanders-like. I would I'd say I'd probably go further than Bernie. Okay. Uh, because right. I'm, I'm not just talking about raising the minimum wage. I'm, I'm actually talking about a living wage, which of course is way higher yes. than the minimum wage anywhere. The way I look at it is, is this, you've got to start from a basic point of view that I honestly believe if they thought about it, and I've made this argument literally, okay, just to reassure you, I made this, I don't say one thing to one audience and another to another. I literally made this argument to the ultra conservative group at the Reagan ranch in Santa Barbara the other week. I made this exact same argument. Surely everyone can agree that if you work full time, you should be able to live on what you earn. That is not a kind of outlandish thing See, to say. See, bingo, right there, you're not a conservative. But wait, hang on no, a second. No, conservatives don't believe that at all. They think, hey, no, no, no hang you on. Do work they, for do me. They, do they, well, the reality is, which conservatives shouldn't be okay with, is that because that's not the case, because you have millions and millions and millions of Americans who work full time or two jobs, whatever, who, who can't live on what they earn, so their income has to be topped up because we don't want people to go without the basics. They gotta live, they gotta feed their families and so on. Right, so how does that happen? You have the government taking money in taxes and then redirecting it to people through various forms of, of welfare and wage subsidy and whatever, whether that's tax credits or food stamps or a combination of those things, okay? So how is that okay for conservatives? You've got this giant welfare bureaucracy paying people. That is basically a subsidy to the employers. They get away with paying their workers less than they have to live, than the, less than they can live on, because they know that the government's gonna top them up. That is a corporate subsidy. So my argument is, let's get rid of that. Let's require the businesses to pay their full-time workers the living wage. Obviously, that will vary from place to place because living costs vary, transportation and housing. It'll be a lot higher in Los Angeles and New York to other parts of the country. But there are people who work this out. Get them to pay 
the living wage to make sure that that doesn't increase their cost to the point that they have to fire people or replace them with automation, you actually reduce their payroll taxes or corporate taxes by the same amount. In doing that, you get rid of that whole kind of merry-go-round of money where you've got the government taking money from businesses and handing it back to their workers. Steve, I got great news for you. Someone's actually introduced that bill. Uh, in the Senate, his name is Bernie Sanders. It's not quite and, the same. And no, in I the know. House, and Ro it's Ro Khanna. I know, I love Ro, he's great, he's been on my show and, and I honestly see eye to eye with him on so many things. I really, really mean that, he's terrific. There's a difference though, their bill ex has exactly the same analysis, same starting point, totally agree. But their solution is to tax the companies the amount of the government subsidy. Yeah. My solution is to force them to pay the living wage. Your solution is more liberal than theirs. In one sense it is, yeah. Yeah, because the government is saying this is the wage you must pay. Yes. It's, it's, it's yes. not even taxes, no, you must pay you this must wage. You must pay this wage, yeah, the living you're wage. You're to the left of Bernie and Roe. I don't know if that pops you out on the right, okay, if you just go all the way around. But you, okay, so- But, but when you're talking about economic security, uh -huh. which has basically collapsed for, I mean, you know, huge, not just a few people at the bottom of the income scale, like right the way up. It's outrageous that in a country as rich as this, you've got people so anxious about how they're gonna get through the week. And yet they're working full time. They're doing exactly what they keep being lectured that they should do. Work hard, do the right thing, play by the rules. All those cliches you get from politicians. Yeah. So people are doing that and they can't get by. So Steve, I wanna congratulate you on infiltrating Fox News <laughs> and the Republican Party uh, while being way to the left of me. <laughs> okay, so now, uh, and, and don't get it twisted, okay? Steve's got real bona fides in, in the conservative world. He worked for David Cameron as a senior advisor when he was in the UK. He's, was a chief strategist yeah, earlier? That's yes, right, the right? title varied, but basically I was the kind of uh, policy strategy guy, you could think of it like that. Yeah, and, and so now look, that's Europe, it's a little different, okay, but still, and, uh, and, and, and many other, you know, bona fides, or as you as well, look, would I say. But I use the word conservative, and I think it's a, one of the things I've been doing uh, as I've been talking about this book, Positive Populism, is, is almost explaining my journey mm -hmm. from pretty much straight down the line conservative when I was a kid, straight out of university, I went and worked as an intern at the Conservative Party in the UK when Margaret Thatcher was still the Prime Minister. Um, yeah. So, you know, I did start out there and I didn't really question those basic kind of ideological points of view. And ever since then, and I've really thought about this in the context of this book, because you're right, that it does mix up left and right in a way that, that is very hard to pin down. I've, I've honestly, and that's why I like the label populism, because I think it, it describes what I'm on about in a way that other labels don't, because to me, this is not about being ideological. It's about being practical and pragmatic. How do you help people? How do you help workers? How do you help families? How do you help communities? And all the way through my life working in politics and starting businesses and then coming over, I, it feels to me as if I'm just moving away from that ideological certainty that yeah. conservatism, free markets, cut government, whatever, has the answers because plainly, it's not true. <laughs> okay, hey, bless your heart, man. He's on Fox News but every weekend. But it, it I don't want anyone to have the, I don't want anyone to have the wrong impression. Okay, there are some ideas in this book, and basically, it's a it's a book full of ideas. They're not uh -huh. fully formed policies. They're really to start a conversation about how we can make this populist movement, which interestingly is on the left and the right, 
into something that lasts and brings about real change. There are some things in there that people will say that's ultra right wing. Okay, so I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. Yeah, so let's get to those because look, I know you're for Brexit. That's also considered very conservative, but it's actually a bit of a misnomer because a lot of people on the left also voted for Brexit in the yeah. UK, and, and that's been left out of of all the discussions. Yeah. And I think that it speaks to something that's very much a big theme in my take on what's gone wrong with the economy and society, and why you've had this incredible. Um, situation over the last few decades, not just the last few years. This has been going on, you know, actually there's some data that shows that for most working Americans, incomes have been flat or falling for 44 years since the early 1970s, right? And so one of the reasons for that, I think, is this incredible concentration of power where you've had this centralization in government where power's been taken away from local communities and gone up to the federal bureaucracy and so on, but also in the economy where corporations have just got bigger and bigger and bigger, swallowing up their competitors, dominating industries, which gives them the power to, to screw their workers and screw local communities and so on. And because we've had this ideology of consumer welfare, which, which says that as long as there's cheap prices and choice, nothing else matters. And so I think that Brexit actually fits into that story of a concentration of power because Increasingly, what happened was that individual countries in Europe saw their powers being taken away and centralized in this bureaucracy in the EU. So, so far on the issue of populism, we agree nearly 100%. And so, if anything, seriously, you're slightly to the left of me on the living wage issue. Okay. So, okay, and I think the establishment is totally full of it and so, and I would hear you out on Brexit. I probably don't land in the same place. I mean, it's, and I don't for for now. I mean, I, the only say reason I say probably is because I'd want to have a little bit fuller conversation uh -huh. about it. Okay, and and then as I look at all those other things that you're looking for, uh, fighting corporate power. Uh, yeah, but and, I would make that argument. You can make that argument in a, in, a, in a right of center way that you should be pro markets, pro competition. It, it's ridiculous that the right have ended up in a situation where, because they want to be seen as pro business, they're okay with no, this Steve, concentration of power. It's ridiculous. No, no, no. Let's just get real now. Okay, it's time to get real. Okay, so uh, all those things could be argued to be the conservative position. And, and then we would have we would be back to sanity in the country where we would have be having an honest debate. But that's not what's happening in this country. Mm -hmm. There's no Republican at the national level that agrees with you. None. They love corporate power. They love the big donors. They are the swamp. Every single one of them. I give the one exception every time is Walter Jones from North Carolina in the House. Uh -huh. He's the only honest Republican left at the national level. Every Republican at the national level would despise every word you have said so far in this interview. I'm just trying to, as you're speaking, trying to think of one. And I can't look that on the on the on the money in politics side. I completely agree. Uh, in fact, on my show, and again, I'm not just saying this to you here, literally every Sunday night, I have a segment on the show called Swamp Watch, where yeah. we look in detail at these connections, you know, the, who's on the, which committee, who do they get money from, they're regulating, you know, they're on the finance committee, they regulate Wall Street, and of course, they're funded by Wall Street. And that is completely on both sides. And I, I take aim at both. We did Ted Cruz the other week, that didn't go down so well with a lot of our audience, but of I just think it's very important to be they fair. They don't know that he's the, uh, one of the most corrupt people in the country, and so. But I'm not look, sure bless your heart for staying on there. Sure. But I, you know, I wouldn't say the most, but um, I certainly think I, that to top ten, probably, yeah. Well, whatever. But I, that idea of of dispersing power, putting power in the hands of people, which is a real theme in in my book and in a lot of these ideas. 
I truly believe that should be and could be shared on left and right. Okay, so let's get to the Mac Daddy of, of, of political figures here in America today, unfortunately. So what you like, for example, I go on conservative shows and they ask me, oh yeah, you defend Chuck Schumer? And no, no, Chuck Schumer's corrupt too. He, he takes a right. giant amount of uh, uh, Wall Street money. So did a guy that we helped to defeat named Joe Crowley. So, um, so we're real populists, we got no love for the Democratic establishment. So right. you and I are on an incredibly similar wavelength. Uh, and, and I'm honest about the Democrats, you appear to be uh, honest about the Republicans. Okay, so that leak gets us to Donald Trump. Right. Okay, so I- By the way, another, I just, just to get, you know, uh, after, after Ted Cruz, the next week we did Kevin McCarthy, right? He's one of the yeah. leaders, you know, like yeah. he's running for speaker, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, um, a re, it's really true. And, and, I, and I've uh, done segments on the corruption of Nancy Pelosi. So, okay, great, fantastic. So, uh, Donald Trump, yeah. uh, uh, can't wait, what's your thoughts? So I, I wanna go back to 2016, the, and, and I've made this point again to the Fox audience, which is the Republicans did not win the 2016 election. They lost, Donald Trump was, did not run as a Republican. Now, he didn't necessarily use the label populist, but he did not run as an ideological republic. Look at his positions on a whole range of issues, right? He, he said he wanted to protect people's um, to Medicare and so on, he mm -hmm. wanted to cut that. On, on trade and immigration, very much aligned with Bernie Sanders' message. Um, even on this question of money and politics, remember, he, was, he made the same argument. He said Hillary and Jeb Bush and all the others, the phrase he used, they're the puppets of their donors. It's a very powerful phrase. On healthcare, he talked about universal healthcare. Again, didn't necessarily use that language, but he said, we're gonna take care of everyone. That to me was one of the things that was attractive about him. And not, never mind me, I can't vote, I'm not a citizen yet. But that's why he won, precisely because he was rejecting that 100 idea. 100% right, so 100% right. So what's happened since then? The problem, and, and my analysis is that he got there, and instead of persisting with that, he basically handed over the policy-making reins to the same old Republicans in Congress, to Paul Ryan and the gang. And so the first thing they do, instead of something where you could have brought the country together, let's say infrastructure spending, where literally everyone would have been for that, and, and, and or some, some other version of the populist message, they come straight back in with the first thing they do, this incredibly ideological attack on healthcare which goes down in flames and distorts the whole of that first year. Um, and I think that's the fundamental mistake, that he, he campaigned as a populist, but then switched to yeah. the same old establishment Republican stuff, and, and that's the central failure. You know why he switched? Because he's a goddamn liar, that's why he switched, okay? And so he never meant any of it. Steve, I said the same things during the campaign. I said, look, are you talking about, he was on a stage on the Republican debates and he said, uh, all these guys, I gave them money myself, and they worked for me. Okay, right. they did what I told them. I was like, that's good. That's a winning strategy. He's that, and he's right about that. Yeah. He said he was going to, but when he said he was going to do universal health care, come on, Steve, that was such an obvious lie. It was the most obvious lie you've ever I seen. I wouldn't. I really don't agree. I think he meant it. I think that's what he'd like to do. I truly believe that. But he has a, yeah, I mean, he has a pea-sized brain. What difference does it make? I mean, I he, he, I, he doesn't even, gonna, the very next day, he probably said the exact opposite, because that's what he does. I don't he agree. doesn't even have any principles. I don't agree. I, I, well, I think he's got very good instincts for what working people want and need. I really believe that. He's, he, in, I know it's unlike, he's the billionaire and all the rest of it from New York, but I think that for, he's so much more in touch with 
the, the, the gut is, instincts he, of working Americans than any of those other Republicans. And I think actually the answer is to, is to that's partly why I wanted to write this book to say, look, we need to have a sort of set of ideas. We need to turn this populist thing into a proper movement with people and ideas and I don't know, think tanks and all the rest of it. You've got to have some kind of balance to the establishment um, thinking, otherwise you're never gonna turn it into lasting change. No, the way Trump ran was exactly right. Okay, and he was a classic politician too. He took populism and then he took, you know, classic skeezy politician. I'll give you everything. Uh, chicken in every pot, right? Okay. Uh, I'll give you universal health care and tax cuts and this and that. And but I'll magically make the deficit go away. Total utter lie. He doesn't do math, right? So, so I mean, I can go busting up Trump all night long, and he came in. He he is corruption. He is the swamp. He's personally corrupt. He's systemically corrupt. He he his whole existence is based on corruption. Okay, Everything look. he did in business is corrupt. I, I just think a lot. <laughs> look, there's no point arguing about. Yeah, I think that the you know I would say I don't agree with that, but the real point is. At some point, whether that is in, sounds like from what you're saying, you hope two years or maybe six years, he'll be gone. But the uh, Two months. Okay, but the problems, <laughs> uh -huh. the underlying structural problems will still be there. 100% And right. so That's we've right. got to have answers because if you go back to establishment politics of the left or right, it's not, it will all have been for nothing. And so that's why I think we just got to start somewhere with building up a body of ideas. And it's got to be broader than just those, you know, universal health care and whatever. It's got to be broader than that. What, what's the populist take on, on education, on skills training, so people can navigate this new labor market and AI and all the rest? You know, there's so many things. What about, okay, we talk about decentralizing power. How are we going to do that? How do we put power in the hands of communities? What about housing? They're just such a sort of broad set of things that we need to have ideas about. So look, Steve, we got to get to a disagreement because so far we haven't really disagreed. You don't, you kind of, you agree with me. You're not going to like my school's plan. Okay, good. So let's let's get to a disagreement because so far, yes, I totally believe in populism, power back to the people, hate the establishment. Yeah. They've been, and if we get rid of Trump, where are we? Where, as Naomi Klein said in this same exact situation as you are in an interview just like this, we're back to the situation that was so bad it created Trump. And, and I call them the brick voters, the people who voted for Trump. They just want to throw a brick through the establishment mm -hmm. window. Mm -hmm. Same thing for the Brexit voters, mm -hmm. okay? So, okay, I hear you. Now we've broken the window. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. And, and so we need to talk about solutions, more of your solutions as yeah. well. Yeah. But I got to get, like, is there anything we actually disagree I on? I don't believe that you will agree with my plan on, I'll try and persuade you, but like, so I think what's gone wrong with education is that the public school system has become basically ossified. It's a, it's a structural problem because if, let's just look at what, if, we, if we're really serious about, about economic security and opportunity, that working class kids should, have, should get the, the skills they need to rise up and, and have the American dream that we talk about, but has basically been completely kind of you know, taken by the people at the top. If, we, if we're really serious about that, then education and skills has gotta be at the heart of it, right? There's other things as well, it's not a magic bullet. You gotta, you gotta fix that. And the school system right now, I think, is just completely failing these kids because it's, it's basically a model developed in 19th century Germany or Prussia, wherever it was, mm -hmm. where, you, where it's all about sort of drilling kids and acquiring knowledge and so on, rather than teaching them in a way that will actually help them navigate this new world of the 21st century. I don't think you can ever get there through this, basically this government monopoly 
on running schools. You need innovation, you need new ideas, new people. That's happening right now for the rich, for the elite. They are completely rethinking education, completely reimagining. Right. Okay, and so, but good, what I good. want is that for everyone. And so my answer to that is you have a total market, open market in schools, right? You get rid of the government monopoly. Anyone can start a school, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, social enterprises, groups of parents. Of course, you have fair funding. You st the government taxpayer pays for it. And in fact, you need to make the funding more fair so that people in rich zip codes can't top up their mm -hmm. schools with, you basically have a national voucher scheme. Now that phrase, the vou education vouchers is totally off-putting to the yeah. left. It's seen as a crazy right-wing thing, but I think in the end, it's the way of equalizing opportunity. So two things about that. One, yes, we finally have a disagreement. Okay, your plan is totally wrong, but it's not <laughs> misguided though. I get, I get what you're saying, but I'm gonna start with point two. Point two is, once again, you will never get Republicans to agree to that. Why, what's the Achilles heel of that plan for Republicans? Which is that the rich neighborhoods have yes. to pay, uh, pay in to equalize all the neighborhoods. They're like, no way. Rich neighborhoods keep their money, poor neighborhoods can go do whatever they want, but they're not touching my kids' money, okay? Yes. So you will never win on that on, on the Republican side. Okay, but it's at least a good, fair, uh, honest disagreement, debate, etc. right? So I would counter with Finland. So we- Yeah, no, I wrote about Finland in my previous book, More Human. The way they, they deal with teachers is exactly right. They pay them double what people, what teachers get here, and they treat them like a proper profession. Yeah, and so the, the thesis there is, and by the way, it's a thesis that's proven out because Finland is But there's a excellent. lot more autonomy, right, in the Finnish system for teachers. They mm -hmm. have a lot more autonomy. You don't have this centralized bureaucratic um, public school system. They really run their school. Each the, the teachers in a school, they really decide what happens in that school. Yes, uh, but the main, to me, there's a lot of wonderful things that Finland does with their schools. But the number one thing they do that I think made all the difference was they banned private schools, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of the system, right. right? And so what they said is, okay, we all have public schools. And I thought as an American, I'm into competition. I was like, yeah. oh, that's weird, that can't work. Yeah. But it did work, why? Because then the rich kids were in the same school as the poor kids. And rich parents are never gonna let their kids go to bad schools. Yeah, it's interesting, I mean, I, I'm aiming for the same thing, which is that you get rid of that distinction, but I'm, I'm coming at it exactly the opposite way, which is to, if you like, ban the public schools and, and, and make sure the funding is fair. But that's, I think that way you get more innovation. All right, Steve Hilton, uh, I hope that you can come back, not only do interviews, let's get you on the power panel. Because congratulations, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, we have found an honest conservative. Okay. Don't say that. That's like the conservative <laughs> thing. I kind of, I'm not sure I'm happy with but that. It, but at a least. Positive populist. That's okay, right. a populist. And I agree to that. And the book is called Positive Populism. Thank you for joining Great us. To I appreciate see you. it. Thank you.